This is the Retirement Lifestyle Advocates Radio Program. I'm your host, Dennis Kubergen. Glad you're listening in today. Hey, joining me on the second and third segments of today's program is Mr. Harry Dent. Harry is a returning guest and a multi-time best-selling author. I'm going to get Harry's forecast for what's going to happen with stocks and real estate and the U.S. economy. You'll want to stay tuned for that. It is January. Happy New Year. Uh, I do have available for you a January special report. It is titled Two Possible Outcomes, and the report talks about the options, the two options, as I see it, that the Federal Reserve has uh, moving ahead as far as monetary policy is concerned. And depending on which course of action the Fed follows, the economic outcome and the effect that these outcomes will have on the investing climate for your 401k and your IRA uh, uh, will be uh, impacted. So the report talks about that and some strategies that you might want to consider now as we enter 2023 to get your copy of that report. Simply visit requestyourreport.com. Let me know where to mail the report, and I will be very, very glad to do that. So again, requestyourreport.com. Digging into that report a bit in this segment, from my perspective, the Federal Reserve, the Central Bank of the United States, has painted itself into into the proverbial corner as far as economic policy is concerned. And as the title of the report, Two Outcomes, indicates, the bank really has two choices. And in my view, and as I'll talk about on today's program, both of these choices are bad. So if you're someone who is already retired or you aspire to a comfortable, stress-free retirement, I believe it's critically important that you have an understanding of these two possible outcomes and the unique investing climates that will emerge in each case. If you move ahead with your retirement income and investment planning, assuming it will be business as usual, if you move ahead using traditional retirement income and investment planning, you'll likely become extremely disappointed and frustrated as time passes. Now, if you've been a long-time listener to the program, you know that I'm fond of quoting one of the founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, even though quoting Mr. Jefferson or any of the founding fathers is not in vogue in many circles today. Mr. Jefferson made this rather prophetic statement, quote, If the American people ever allow private banks to control the issue of their currency, first by inflation, then by deflation, the banks and corporations that will grow up around them will deprive the people of all property until their children wake up homeless on the continent their fathers conquered. End quote. Mr. Jefferson was a serious student of history. Mr. Jefferson keenly understood how central banks had operated throughout history. And he didn't really like the outcome. In fact, he actually said, quote, I believe that banking institutions are more dangerous to our liberties than standing armies. The issuing power should be taken from the banks and restored to the people to whom it properly belongs, end quote. Now it seems, as we examine where we are as a result of monetary policy, that we have proven Mr. Jefferson to be correct. 
Now, currency today is a fiat currency. You know, in 1971, then-President Richard Nixon eliminated the link between the dollar and gold. Up until August 15th of 1971, the dollar could be redeemed for gold at a rate of $35 per ounce. So the price inflation that we are now seeing in earnest, the price inflation we're now seeing accelerating has really been occurring since 1971. The devaluation for most of that time frame has been slow enough that it really wasn't that noticeable. Now, Egon von Greyerts of Gold Switzerland estimates the U.S. dollar has lost about 98% of its purchasing power since 1971. The massive inflation we have been experiencing over the past few years has simply been an acceleration of this devaluation process. And that brings me to one of the choices that the Fed has. The Fed could continue their current course of action and continue to raise interest rates to attempt to contain consumer price inflation, or put another way, to slow the devaluation of the dollar. Now, should they do that, we'll have to deal with the $300 trillion of debt that now exists worldwide. At the time of the financial crisis, there was about $100 trillion in debt worldwide. That number is now $300 trillion, and that number is large enough that if you apply some simple math to it, it's easy to conclude that that debt will not all be paid. So should the Fed continue their current course of action, I believe we will move into a deflationary environment that we'll see stocks continue to decline, that we'll see real estate decline. In fact, the price of many financial assets will also decline. And we talk about this in the January special report. Again, the January special report is very simply titled Two Possible Outcomes, and it deals with the two outcomes that the Fed has, one of which we discussed in this segment. Uh, the last or the other option we'll talk about in the last segment of today's program. As I close this segment, let me remind you that you can get a copy of this month's special report, Two Possible Outcomes, by visiting the website, requestyourreport.com. I'll be back after these words with my special guest, Mr. Harry Dent. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Kubergen. Joining me once again on today's program is returning guest and multi-time best-selling author, Mr. Harry Dent. Uh, Harry is a prolific economic commentator, uh, has a uh, terrific background and is expert in demographic research, and he is offering a free newsletter to our listeners that is a weekly newsletter. All you need to do to sign up and subscribe is go to harrydent.com. And Harry, welcome back to the program. Nice to be back, Dennis. So Harry, here we are at the beginning of 2023. Uh, 2022, we had a couple quarters of economic contraction, which 
used to be called a recession, although some of the ruling elites say we shouldn't call it that anymore. Uh, what's your economic forecast for 2023? More of the same or, or where are we headed in your view? You know, Dennis, I actually think uh, as a year in particular, because I think most of the year is going to be down, okay? So uh, that this is going to be the worst year since 1973 or 74, uh, or of course backwards, you know, 1930 and things like that. Uh, 2001 was the most recent very difficult year. Uh, the crash didn't, the, the tech wreck didn't start until around uh, May 2000. So the worst year was really 2001. So I think that's, this is going to be like 2001, 1973, uh, 1930, years where we, we really saw, saw a major downturn instead of like a, a, a correction or even a major correction. And I think people are still thinking, well, this, is, this may just be a, a larger than average correction. And I've been saying this from the beginning. No, this thing was set to peak. The, the, the central banks have put out this market longer and longer with stimulus. I mean, massive stimulus. I mean, since COVID, they did $10 trillion combined fiscal and monetary. Half of GDP in two years is stimulus. The market should have doubled, okay? So, so it went up some, but now it's already coming back down. So despite all that stimulus, they were only forced to now tighten because they overdid it. Inflation suddenly went from zero to two percent up to nine point one. I mean, suddenly because they overreacted to COVID, and now they've had to tighten. And there's only one place stock can go now is down in a tightening environment. Uh, and the Fed's going to going to have to at least go probably another couple of months before it's obvious that the economy's slowing too much. Um, that's enough to do the damage because stocks have already gone down. The Nasdaq, which my the key index I track, the tech index, is a little more volatile, a little more, you know, central. You know, it was down 34 percent first crack. Well, that's the first thing, Dennis, that told me, OK, this bubble finally burst, darn it. You know, I mean, and they pump it up and up. But first bubbles. And I studied everyone in, in, you know, since the stock market started major bubbles. For a bubble to crash, you need to see at least a 28% first whack right off or average 41% and at the worst 50%. So that 34% crack in the NASDAQ uh, was, was the first sign to me, okay, the thing finally topped. And, and I think what happens is once investors see that the central banks are losing control, hey, hey, they over overstimulating COVID, then they over tighten. Hey, that's called losing control. And the markets, I don't think I, I am saying we will not see a new high now. That that's not in the cards anymore. And we're in a bounce after the Nasdaq went down one more time, 38%. Now it's bounced some. I think we're getting we're heading down into the next wave down. You got to remember another thing. Any major bull market or bear market, any major new direction will have three waves typically. So we saw the first crash in the June. We've been sideways more since then, slight new low in, in August. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, in October. And now we're bouncing. This wave is already turning down. The second, the next wave, which should be the middle wave, is usually the strongest and largest of any. I think we're in that. This is the important wave. Uh, you know, this, this middle wave, it's called a three wave down. You know, one wave, first wave down, a second wave bounce, which we've seen. Now we're in the third wave down. If this follows through, uh, which I think it's going to likely to do soon, this next wave, next thing you know, the, the NASDAQ is going to be down 50 to 60 percent. And then the S&P a little less than that. And people are going to be 
<laughs> realizing that, hey, this isn't just another correction, however deep it seemed at first. That, you know, the market is topped, and, 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 and we're not going to see new highs for a long time. And then people's psychology changed. Now, now people are not just buying on the dips anymore. And that's what people have been trained to do since 2009 with such strong stimulus. So, so that, that's where we're at. We're, we're at a point where the markets have fallen enough to say, yes, we have seen a major top here. And I think we may never see stocks higher than this, especially adjusted for inflation and real estate even more, by the way, because the millennial generation is not the magnitude of the baby boom to take us to. It takes us to about the same height of the economy, but, but even less so in housing and stuff. So, so this is really a major trend change, and investors have to stop you get out of this thing about, oh, we just buy on the dips now. I think that's going to cure that very quickly. And that's why we need to see follow through. So, again, you know, the best thing to look for uh, on the NASDAQ, and we're not far from it, just a couple percent, you know, here, uh, we break 10,088. We're likely to, the market's likely to go down faster. And next thing you know, we're down 50% or more. And, and everybody's thinking differently. Oh, my God, <laughs> the bubble's burst. And yes, even these mighty central banks and the Fed, these guys lost control. They overdid it. And boy, did they overdo it. And Harry, when you, when you talk about the Fed, um, and, and you've mentioned in the past that, you know, in this boom, these boom and bust cycles that we see, and you've, you, you've, you've actually narrowed down the, the timing of some of these cycles, as well as many different cycles, which is a discussion in and of itself. But when you take a look at, you know, how much stimulus it takes to blow this bubble back up again, it takes more and more stimulus to get a, a, a more diminished result. So do you see the Fed now, uh, assuming we get this market action to the downside, do you see the Fed reversing course and say we need more stimulus? Well, yeah. Now, I mean, they are now tightening now. And they, again, they were forced to do that by their own overreaction. COVID was a natural virus so it hit. Nobody's going to say there's something wrong with the economy because we slowed because a lot of people got sick and we couldn't go out and transact and socialize as much and all this sort of stuff. They overreacted to that. If they hadn't have done that, they could have kept this going longer. So, so now that they've overreacted, though, the markets are weakening. And, and, and when they get down enough, people, like I say, they're going to think differently. And, and they're not going to think, are we just buying a dip? Something has changed. And, and, and the economy will move into a recession very quickly. And so some measures it's already in, some, some measures it's about to. But most indicators say a recession's coming if not already here. So, so this is going to change things. The difference has been because we've put this off so long, because all the gains since, since the 2009, early 2009 bottom have been stimulus. They haven't been demographics, you know, better aging of population and the higher spending and that none of this growth is in the markets has been natural or an economy would have been much worse so now it is like like you said it takes more and more to keep a bubble going and that's true of anything in life okay it takes more and more to keep something going especially if it's artificial stimulus so there's no way to get this i mean the, the fed would have to turn around and print 10 trillion dollars in one year Instead of, you know, stimulus of 10 trillion in two years, they would have to keep doubling down. And since the last time finally went too far on them, even that, I mean, you can't imagine the Fed turning around suddenly after tightening for a few months and saying, oh, we got to go back to full on stimulus. What that would be saying to people is, oh, my God, the economy was really weak. All that stimulus 
wasn't enough and we started to fall into recession just because they tightened for a few months a little? I mean, all of this is going to bring out the truth. And the truth is, Dennis, real simply, the underlying economy, I've got the best indicator in the world for this, the spending wave. And I can do it any country in the world. But the U.S. baby boom peaked in 2007 in their spending wave from, from 1982 low. And we, we started going down. And that's why we had so much stimulus. The 2008-9 crash was the biggest we'd had. In, in, in decades, and, and the Fed just panicked and just started printing money like mad. Well, you know, we don't come out of the uh, the uh, baby bust downturn until 2024-25 in that time period. So the demographics are still the weakest they're going to be, which means it takes escalating stimulus to, to, put, to make up for that. And on top of that, after this crash, people are now going to be more scared. And like you say, they're going to have to double down even more just to try to get back to where they were. So this is a losing game. I, to me, uh, I was just waiting for, again, what I measured every bubble in history. I was waiting to see at least a 28 percent stock crash, the first crash. And we got 34 percent in the Nasdaq and close to that is, you know, and close to that 28 percent in the S&P. So that's what told me this is over. I don't think the Fed can reverse it at this point, and they'd have to do something so dramatic. They, again, they'd first have to stop tightening after a few months. Oh, that looks really weak for the economy. And then they'd have to go back to strong stimulus. Boy, that would be, that would be an out-and-out -out confession. This economy is so dead, we have to live on crack cocaine until we pass out. You know, Harry, one of the statistics I read was that at the time of the financial crisis in 2007, 2008, Worldwide debt totaled about $100 trillion, and today it totals about $300 trillion. I'd like your opinion as to the validity of that statistic. And, you know, when you start talking about those numbers, uh, as far as debt levels are concerned, as a percentage of economic output, you know, we're looking at a 1930s-style deflationary outcome, uh, the way I see it. Is that, uh, is that out there, or is that real? Yeah, you know, that, that's what people really need to understand, exactly what you're saying here. Um, it is. I mean, recessions slow down the economy and, of course, stocks and maybe home values flatten out and stocks go down and stuff. So it does shrink financial assets and debts fail. And that means debts go away. So it, it shrinks financial assets, debt that slows the economy. This is more than that, because this is the greatest financial asset bubble in history. Number one, it's an everything bubble. Why is it an everything bubble? Because the stimulus after the 2008 recession and crash was so strong by central banks around the world that everything bubbled, okay? Real estate, stock, commodities, gold, even gold bubbled, okay? Um, and, and so we have to take those bubbles out. All these high financial assets and high debt, debt yeah, debt is gone up from one in three. Well, financial assets is the number I most monitor, Dennis. Financial assets are now at $600 trillion, double that debt number. So, so that debt number is unprecedented weight on the economy. But financial assets being so high, that's a weight too. I mean, because they can't keep going up. And when financial assets just come back down to normal levels, which would mean, and I've already done an estimate, I've done taking bonds, stocks, globally, everything, real estate, and say, what happens if, if, if these financial assets just come back to normal, not low, normal values, 250 to $300 trillion, Dennis, would disappear from the economy, financial assets, 
So a lot of debt's going to be written off, say maybe half of that $300 trillion, but half of this $600 trillion financial asset is going to disappear. This is literally money in people's investments and bank accounts that they're going to live on in the future. So if all of a sudden your net worth for the typical person or your literally financial assets you have for the future drops in half, and that could mean stocks 80 to 90 and real estate 30 to 40 and, and, and other things in between. I mean, that's going to change people's perspective and make them conservative, in not only in their outlook, but in their spending as well. Well, gosh, we can't spend as much. Oh, we can't buy that new home we were thinking about. Now this happens. So this is going to be a watershed shift from bubble mania, which started only in 19, late 94, first stock bubble. Oh, and when the stock bubble crashed 2000, 2002, people just said, well, like, oh, well, we'll go to real estate. But then you had a real estate bubble in 2006, and then it crashed. Here's the difference this time. Now we've had everything bubble, stock, real estate, everything, and it's all crashing at the same time. So there's nowhere to hide. You have to be in the safest long-term treasury bonds to make good money or cash just to preserve what you have. And everything else is going to go down. Then Everything else. Just normal corporate bonds have risk in them. They'll go down 20 or 30. High-yield bonds will go down 50% or 60%. Stocks go down 70, 80, 90. And real estate goes down 50%, my estimate this time, instead of 34% from 2006 to 12 in the last crash. And that was more than the Great Depression at 26% for real estate because we never had such easy financing back then. So real estate really joined stocks in this bubble and everything. So when everything goes down, you don't have many options for diversification. The key is protect what you got. And there is one proven in 2008 to nine proved it in spades, one asset that will go up and go up substantially 30-year or 10-year treasury bonds or 20-year AAA corporate corporate bonds. Those are the things that actually appreciate and substantially. The treasury bonds in the long-term treasury went up 45% in the 2008 crash. Whoa, stocks go down 57 and they go up 45. Wow, well, I think they're going to go. I think the TLT is the treasury bond ETF average of 10 and 30, 20-year average. I think that could almost double in this crash. You will never, ever see a Treasury bond rally like that in the past, not even in the Great Depre- after the Great Depression or in the future. So that's the, that's the opportunity here. The safest investment, again, 30-year Treasuries best, 10-year Treasuries, and then 20-year AAA corporates. Those are the three things that will go up and go up substantially in a short period of time. Everything else from normal bonds, junk bonds, real estate, high end will go down more than low end, you know, on and on and on. NASDAQ will go down more than, than you know, than, 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 than the uh, S&P, uh, but all, in the end, not a lot more. I mean, everything goes down. This, this has never happened. Even in the Great Depression, everything went down, but real estate did not get, will, did not crash, will crash crashed in about half as much now. That real estate downturn in the 30s wouldn't have killed people. It was a stock crash. Real estate's going to be the biggest harm to people this time because people have mortgages against real estate. So a 40 to 50% decline in real estate, more than in 2008 crash, is going to take people into negative equity and put banks in really deep trouble. 
Well, my guest today is Mr. Harry Dent, a multiple-time best-selling author. You can get a free subscription to his weekly newsletter by visiting harrydent.com. I'll continue my conversation with Harry when RLA Radio returns. Stay with us. Welcome back to RLA Radio. I'm your host, Dennis Kubergen, and joining me once again on today's program is returning guest, Mr. Harry Dent. Uh, Harry is offering a free subscription to his weekly newsletter for our listeners today. Uh, you can go to harrydent.com and uh, sign up. Again, the website is harrydent.com. So, Harry, just to jump in where we uh, left it off in the last segment, um, you were talking about um, U.S. Treasuries as being the the, the best place to have your money, both both the 10-year and the 30-year. Um, just to uh, maybe be devil's advocate here for a minute, uh, with the U.S. government now operating at a huge uh, deficit and uh, some of those numbers actually maybe being shaded uh, w- w- with the deficit numbers not being accurately reported, according to some of the research I've been doing, uh, certainly Congress doesn't seem like it's uh, uh, got any uh, plans to change its its, its free spending. Uh, at what role does U.S. government debt have in U.S. Treasury performance? And at what point do U.S. Treasuries maybe cease to be the safe haven? Well, you know, you know, the 2008 downturn was the deepest downturn we've had since '82. I mean, it was, it was very similar in unemployment. It was much, much bigger in financial assets, stock crash, but it was similar in unemployment and the economy. And, and, you know, that, that takes a lot out of the economy. I mean, you just can't come back um, at first from that. So, so this is something that, that um, after – you can't get away from the fact that the bigger the bubble, the bigger the burst. Um, and you can't get away from the fact, more so from my point of view, as I said earlier – that this entire stock bubble and everything bubble was not during a period of stronger underlying growth. I, I'm the one that, that, that first learned to measure underlying growth by demographics, when people spend the most money, which is the most known statistic on earth that nobody pays attention to. People enter the workforce at 20 after only costing the economy to be raised by their parents and schooled by the government and everybody else. And then they grow and earn and spend money and drive the economy up and, and drive uh, inflation down with their productivity. So, so this is there's reasons the economy grows. All of our growth since early 2009 stock bottom has been stimulus, money thrown in, printed out of nowhere. What's the price for that eventually? Inflation, which they finally got. And in other words, you don't get something for nothing. So, so people, what I'm telling people, this is not your, most financial advisors, most of the time are right. Oh, when we have a correction, just sit through it and rebalance and, and rebuy more at the bottom. No, that's not what you do. You have to get out of the way of this. This is once in a lifetime. This is 29 to 32 and to a lesser degree, 2000 to 2002. This occurs very rarely to see crashes of this magnitude where everything goes down. Okay, everything except to say so. So money has to flow somewhere. So it either goes to cash. People get scared and go to cash 
But the but the one safe haven, and again, 2008 proved this. I mean, everything went. 2008 to me was like the warm up for this. And and if they had not stepped in with strong stimulus, the 2008 downturn would have been more like 30 to 32, and would have gone much deeper, longer. It, it was 1.7 years. It would have gone closer to three years. Okay, and it would have gone. Stocks would have gone down. You know, 80 some percent, like they did in the Great Depression, instead of 57. So the truth is, we have to get this now, Dennis. We we pumped our way out of this. We still have to take out this $300 trillion of debt. Half of that, those debts are not sustainable. We have to get this $600 trillion of financial assets down to something more sustainable, like 250 to 300 It should be two to three times our, our global GDP, not six, just like the debt. So we have to get – we have to clean our decks to be able to grow again, and we will grow, not as much as with the baby boom, but 2000, late 2024 into 2037 will be the millennial boom. We will have rising demographics, growing spending of that generation. It's just not as long or as large in magnitude as the baby boom, but that's enough to pull us strongly out of this. So if stocks do go down 80 to 90%, which I see, then, then there's going to be huge gains. From 2024, 25 into 2037 in a relatively short period of time, just 12, 13 years. So that's the upside. The, the challenge is if you don't get out of the way, if you treat this as a just larger than normal correction and see most of your financial assets, your home and your real estate investments and your stock investments and your bonds go down so much, you're going to spend the rest of your life catching back up and never probably get back to even so this is this there couldn't be a more important time and we're only about a third away into this so you can still save two-thirds of your loss if you if you get out now and wait and watch and i'm telling you you're only gonna have to wait i think mid 2024 would be my bet on when we can start buying stocks again real estate you'll have longer although you could probably start them but real estate takes longer to bottom and turn around just like it did in the last crash Stocks bottomed in early 2000, March 2009. Real estate didn't bottom until early 2012, three years later, and real estate peaked a year ahead of stocks. So, so that's the thing. The best way to see this is the investment and buy opportunity of a lifetime, but you can't do that if you don't preserve and lock in what you've already made. And, and to do that, you've got to really accept that you've got a giant bonus. This this. Great gain since 2009 in stocks and real estate was not deserved. The first bubbles were natural bubbles from really good times and investors getting over excited and overvaluing. This, since 2009, has been total BS. It's all been stimulus, and stimulus is going to that, – that's why green, uh, the, uh, the Fed is overestimating how strong the economy is. They think the economy can take this mild tightening. The economy cannot. If they just stop stimulating, this economy would fall apart, and and this debt, these debts would start to unravel. They're so high. So, so the Federal Reserve really doesn't understand how big a bubble they created. Again, before the end of 2007, we all created it. Government, businesses, consumers, great times, and we always overdo it. Okay, that's just that's human nature. Ever since then, it's been all government stimulus, overreaction. Failure to have faith in free market capitalism to go up and down and do the best thing in the long term. The invisible hand, as Adam Smith called it in the late 1700s. People espouse free market capitalism. And as soon as we have a recession, which is necessary, 
you know, just like eating and defecating or anything else, you know, rain and sunshine, all these things, natural cycles. This is natural cycles. Well, you don't have free market. You don't have faith in free market capitalism. If every time we slow down, you've got to stimulate and get the goose economy up again. You're not trusting the free market system. Recessions purge our economy of bad business practice, failed businesses, you know, failed government policies, everything, you know. Recessions are just as necessary to growth as booms. Unfortunately, booms tend to last two times as long as recessions, and that's how we make progress in history. But you can't keep booming without cleaning the decks every 10 years. And we've had a recession every 10 years since I was born. Well, we've, you know, we've been preventing this last one, and that's why we got a bigger bubble, and that's why we're going to have to have a bigger burst. We're going to end up in the same place anyway. So, Harry, we've got maybe just under two minutes left in this segment. Um, if it's going to be time to start buying buying stocks potentially a couple of years from now, and we've got $300 trillion of debt, uh, which you know we've discussed in this segment that you know maybe half of that won't get paid, that tells me that the next two years are going to be pretty ugly. Yeah, that this, this will be the worst crash of our lifetime. You go back two generations, the Henry Ford generation, that was night, night, late 29 to 32. It should have been 2008 to 2010, the worst crash, and then a follow-on crash. That was the pattern of the Great Depression. 29 to 32, giant crash, then a rebound with some stimulus, and then a uh, another crash, but not as giant, from 37 into 1940. So we're going to get the big crash at the end because they limited the crash and downturn on the front side with such massive stimulus. So we're going to see more like 29 to 32 in stocks and 29, 30 to 33 in the economy in the next few years. And it's going to be the worst thing we see. We will not see a downturn this big decades ahead. And we have not seen it in our lifetimes. Only the people who are already dead would have seen it in the early 30s. So this I'm, this is serious, what I'm talking about, if it happens. And I, I see no way around it because you don't get something for nothing. If we could always do better by just printing money out of thin air, I mean, we could, gosh, well, we should do it. <laughs> If that's the truth, but I'm saying no, you don't get something for nothing. There's no way we don't have a bigger crash than we've seen. Bigger crash than 2008 to nine. In fact, Dennis, I put a number on that: 1.5 times the stock crash, 1.5 times the unemployment, on and on and on. This is going to be 50% worse than we saw 2008 to nine. That's the best way to put it in perspective. What would you sell if you knew that? What would you do if you knew that? And you wouldn't sit, listen to your stockbroker and sit through this correction is what you wouldn't do. But and you might even sell your vacation home or sell a big home you have and downsize to a smaller one after the crash at bargain prices. So, so think that way. What would you do if you thought a recession one and a half times as bad as 2008 to nine was, was, was on its way? Well, my guest today is Mr. Harry Dent. You can get a free subscription to his weekly newsletter by visiting the website, harrydent.com. The website, again, harrydent.com. Harry, always a pleasure to catch up with you and get your perspective. I always get terrific feedback when you're on the program. So thank you for joining us today. And I'd love to have you back down the road here for another update. Sure. Thank you, Dennis. We will return after these words.
Welcome back to RLA Radio, and thanks again to my special guest today, Mr. Harry Dent, for joining us on today's program. In the first segment of today's program, I talked about the fact that it is January, and we have a brand new special report for you. The title of the report is Two Possible Outcomes, and I'd be very glad to send you your complimentary copy of the report, along with some bonus information. All you need to do is visit requestyourreport.com. The website, again, is requestyourreport.com. When you visit the site, just let me know where to mail your report, as well as the bonus information that includes two copies of my best-selling books. You'll get a copy of the best-selling book, Revenue Sourcing. you also get a copy of the Little Black Book on Social Security Maximization. So if you're thinking about retiring, if you aspire to a comfortable retirement, or if you're already retired, uh, visit requestyourreport.com, and I'll be glad to send you this information to give you another opinion as to where things might be headed. Now, the report, Two Possible Outcomes, talks about the fact that the Fed really has two options at this point. They can continue tightening. They can continue increasing interest rates in an attempt to get consumer price inflation under control. Or if the economy deteriorates far enough, the question is, will they reverse course? Will they pivot as uh, you're probably hearing a lot in the news right now? And will they go back to easing? Will they reduce interest rates and perhaps uh, once again engage in quantitative easing or currency creation? Now, this whole idea of currency devaluation and currency devaluation really uh, is, is, is seen in consumer price inflation, that's been occurring since 1971, as I talked about in the first segment. And a good way to measure how much the dollar has actually been devalued over the last 50 plus years is just to take a look at the purchasing power of gold in 1971 compared to today and US dollars in 1971 compared to today. As I mentioned in the first segment, when Richard Nixon temporarily suspended the link between the US dollar and gold, as we all know now that temporary suspension now is permanent and it's been permanent, the, the dollar was redeemable for gold at a rate of $35 per ounce. At that time, in 1971, the average cost of a new home was $25,000. So if you were out house hunting for an average home in 1971, you had to have access to $25,000 in U.S. dollars cash, or you had to have about 700 ounces of gold. So in 1971, 700 ounces of gold and 25000 U.S. dollars had the same purchasing power. Now, if we fast forward to the present time, the average price of a new home today is about $380,000. So the $25,000 that would have purchased an entire home in 1971 now is not even a 10% down payment on an average home. On the other hand, if you have the 700 ounces of gold that would have purchased a new home in 1971, you can now buy about four homes. So since 1971, when priced in gold, the US dollar has purchased, has, has lost about 98% of its purchasing power. So the Fed now, because of the high inflation we've been experiencing, 
is increasing interest rates to try to contain consumer price inflation, or put another way, to try to slow the devaluation of the U.S. dollar. Now, because money today is loaned into existence, because money today is debt and not an asset, when interest rates go up, borrowers are less inclined to borrow. And as borrowing slows, currency creation slows as well. If interest rates move lower, borrowers are more eager to go out and take on debt, and then currency creation picks up. Currency creation accelerates. So the Fed is now trying to get inflation under control by increasing interest rates. Now, I talked about this with my guest, Harry Dent, today. At the time of the financial crisis, debt worldwide was about $100 trillion. Now, worldwide, central banks have created a lot of currency, which has simply masked the symptoms of this debt, and at the same time has allowed massive new debt to be created. At the time of the financial crisis, as I just mentioned, worldwide debt was $100 trillion. Today, it's about $300 trillion, which brings me to an eternal economic truth. That eternal economic truth is simply this. If there's too much debt to be paid, it will not be paid. And when debt goes unpaid or is defaulted upon, currency disappears from the financial system, which is deflationary. As I talked about today with my special guest, Harry Dent, deflation is ugly. Stock prices crash, real estate prices crash, unemployment soars. Understandably, politicians and policymakers want to avoid deflation at all costs, but given current debt levels, from my perspective anyway, avoiding deflation will be impossible. So we find ourselves now, unfortunately, in the middle of the prophecy laid out by Mr. Thomas Jefferson, and I talked about that in the first segment. We are now experiencing inflation that will have to be succeeded by deflation. Here's what we don't know. When will inflation mostly end and when will deflation noticeably kick in? Now, there's an argument to be made looking at what stocks did last year that deflation has already noticeably kicked in. The real estate numbers are becoming anemic. That's an argument that deflation has already kicked in. Now, if the Fed continues its present policy and the Fed continues to increase interest rates, I believe this inevitable deflation will appear sooner rather than later. Now, the last period of serious deflation occurred in the 1930s. It was a time frame that is now referred to as the Great Depression, and it was, in a word, ugly. Stocks crashed 90% from their peaks. Real estate crashed. 25% of the labor force was out of work. At that time, the gold standard ended, and Keynesian economics was adopted. Massive amounts of currency was created in the 30s and early 40s, and then the gold exchange standard reappeared from 1944 until 1971. 
we have now been pursuing full-blown Keynesian policies once again to a much greater extent than we did during the Great Depression. So the bottom line is this. If the Fed continues on its current course of increasing interest rates in increments large enough to meaningfully affect inflation, then deflation will soon materialize in earnest, along with all the ugly symptoms of debt defaults and currency contraction. The other option the Fed has is to reverse course and once again revert to the easy money policies that we've been pursuing and add stimulus to a struggling economy. In large enough quantities, that will once again likely feed inflation. So the Fed has two options. They can continue tightening or they can reverse course. And no matter which course of action the Fed follows, the economic outcome, in my view, cannot be good. And that's the title of this month's report. This month's report is available by visiting the website requestyourreport.com. It is titled Two Possible Outcomes. Visit requestyourreport.com. I'll be glad to send you a copy of the report as well as a couple copies of uh, my best-selling books. You'll get revenue sourcing. You'll also get the little black book on social security maximization. Again, the website is requestyourreport.com. That's my program for this week. Hope you got something you can use. I'll be back again next week.